Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning, and so glad that you are here. If you're joining us online, we are grateful, and we're continuing today. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, looking closely at the life of Jesus. Last week, We saw his baptism. Today, we're gonna catch up in Luke chapter four. If you have your Bibles, go over to Luke chapter four and verse one. Here we go, Luke four, one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. We wanna remember that phrase. Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, we see that phrase again, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. So the devil's caught on to the fact that Jesus likes to quote scripture. Now, the devil's quoting scripture back at Jesus, but twisting its meaning, saying, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. We're supposed to pick up in that last little phrase that this was not the only time that Jesus faced temptation. No doubt in the 30 years up to this moment, he'd faced temptation. And then no doubt in the time to follow in his ministry, he would again face temptation. But this is the detailed account we have of this period of intense temptation. And I want us, before we kind of get into the main part of the message, I just want to make it real clear. Part of what we're supposed to understand when we read this story is we're supposed to see a contrast and a distinction between Jesus's temptation and the temptation of our first parents. And so we, we, there's some contrast here. It says that Adam faced temptation in the best possible surroundings. He was in the Garden of Eden. Jesus faced temptation and the worst possible surroundings. He is in the desert, in the wilderness. Adam lived in a the perfection of the garden, and Jesus lives in a broken, fallen place. Adam yielded to the first temptation that he faced, and then Jesus went a whole lifetime not giving in to temptation. Adam was, was, was not hungry at the time. He was able to feast on everything in the garden except the one tree, but, but Jesus was physically weakened by 40 days of fasting. In the best circumstances, Adam fell, and in the worst imaginable circumstances, Jesus did not give in to temptation. Because of Adam's temptation, it caused death to enter for everyone. But because Jesus did not give in to temptation, life is offered through him. And so I wanna share with you four things about temptation today. Here's the first one. Temptation is inevitable. Temptation is inevitable. When James talks about temptation, he doesn't say if you're tempted. He says when you are 
tempted. Temptation is part of the human experience. And, and I think a couple of things that we see here from Jesus uh, and his temptation is that temptation uh, comes many times and two times in our lives. Many times temptation follows a great victory or, or, or something really tremendous that's happened. And so what we see is Jesus has just had this highlight moment. He's been baptized and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It really doesn't get any better than that. And it's coming out of that sort of mountaintop experience, this highlight moment that the temptation comes. And I believe many times that the enemy seeks to bring temptation, one, when he perceives that what we're up to could be a threat to his agenda. Moments in our life where we're really thriving spiritually. Moments in our life where we're really growing spiritually. Moments in our life where we're really making a significant difference. And then the other times I believe that the enemy loves to really focus temptation is when he perceives us as vulnerable. So here we see Jesus, we can physically, after 40 days of fasting in this difficult environment, and, and it's in, the, in that vulnerable moment that this intense temptation comes about. And really, if you just watch enough Animal Planet or Discovery Channel, you, you see that in the animal kingdom, that's animals attack when they perceive that they are threatened or perceive that the other animal is vulnerable. And, and the devil is, is compared to Scripture to a lion. It says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so those moments when he perceives, because of God's activity in our life, that we may be a, th a threat to his agenda... And then those times when we might be vulnerable. Many times temptation comes when, when we are, are tired or hungry or stressed. Many times in those vulnerable moments. I have a story that sort of illustrates these two things. It's a story that may cause some of you not to want to come to church here anymore. I like to tell stories like that a couple times a year just to weed out the crusty folks. And I proceed with this. I have not been in an actual fist fight since I was 16 years old. Uh, seven years ago, it was on Easter Sunday. Seven, maybe eight years ago. It was Easter Sunday. It was a great day at Life Church. And there might have been more people at Life Church that day than we'd ever had in a given day. There might have been more uh, people give their life to Christ that day than we'd ever experienced on a day. Up to that moment, it was a highlight moment. Things were awesome. But, and, uh, and I came out of preaching those multiple services and both grateful for God's goodness, but also really, really tired. And it was spring break week, and I, uh, Claire and I were gonna spend a few days with the girls up at a timeshare up at Tahoe, and, and I said, uh, we were gonna take two cars. And Claire said, I'm gonna swing by the, the grocery store, and I said, uh, I'll take one of the girls, and, and I'll just head up to the place, and I'll meet you up there. And, and so I get up there, and I park the car, and I, I, I park our car very close to the line, not over it. That is a key fact. And uh, it's taking Claire a little longer to go to the store and get up there. At this point, I am really tired, and now I feel as though I'm literally starving. Now, maybe I wasn't, but it felt that way. Claire uh, finally arrives. I go out to help her bring in the stuff, and she parks near my, on this spot next to me. And uh, at the same time, another gentleman is pulling up in the spot next to her. Claire begins to critique my parking job, as is her right and potential duty as my wife. 
this gentleman just partially overhears as he's getting out of his car, and, and he says, that's right, whoever parked that car that way, that guy's an idiot. And then I said, that guy was me. And then he went to tell me what an idiot I thought he thought I was. And then I proceeded to tell him, why don't you come say that right here? And then he proceeded to take a few steps that way and then continue to shoot his mouth off. And then he began to walk away, at which point I said, that's right, you walk away. <laughs> which time he turned around, walked my direction again about halfway, shot his mouth off again. And uh, we got out of it without having a physical altercation, but it was as close as I've come since I was 16 years old to getting in a full fist fight. I had a couple of people after last service say, I really wish it ended with you having a fist fight. And, uh, and I was like, something's wrong with your soul. And so, uh, but it illustrates these moments where we're coming out of a great highlight, but we're also vulnerable. We're tired, we're stressed, we're hungry. Temptation is inevitable. Here's the second thing we gotta know. The devil is real. Most of the time, many people call it fall in one of two categories. We either underestimate the role of the devil or we overestimate it. And, and so sometimes we underestimate it, losing sight of the fact that we have a real enemy of our soul, this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so we underestimate the fact that we have a real enemy of our soul, or, and some people overestimate. Some people see a demon behind every bush. Some people blame the devil whenever they do something wrong. They say, the devil made me do it, which both overestimates the devil's power and underestimates our own sense of personal responsibility. The devil has two big goals. For the person that doesn't yet know Jesus, his goal is to keep them from coming to know the truth of Jesus. And for the person who has given their life to Christ, whose eternity is fixed, his goal is to cause our time here on earth to be less than it's meant to be, for us not to live the abundant life that Jesus has promised, for us to not live lives filled with love and joy and peace, to not live lives that, that make a significant impact for the sake of the kingdom, and that is his goal. The devil is real. Deception is his greatest tool. What we see here is, is uh, in this story of Jesus' temptation, he's, he, he's telling these lies, and he's got a few different key lies he likes to do. He says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, we've got to remember the context. This is right after Jesus' baptism, where the voice of the Father has said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. So now the devil is, is saying, if you are the son of God, he's saying, are you, are, is, that, is that even true? Is, is, or is that even true that that's who you are? And, and, and he's trying to just sort of raise this question mark over Jesus's true identity. And, and the devil loves to tell us lies that have to do with our identity. It's this, it's this attack. See, the thing is, Jesus knew who he was. And when I know who I really am, it frees me from the power of temptation. When I know that I am a child of God, when I, when I know that, 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 all, that, that God is with me and that nothing's going to change that, and I know that all of these promises that he's made to me, that he is true to these, he, he lies to us about our identity and he lies to us about the character of God. 
And that's the lie that he's been telling from the beginning in the garden when, when, when he was tempting Adam and Eve. And it's, he says, uh, they, they say, wait, he says, eat of this fr- fruit of this tree. And they say, no, we won't because, because we will surely lie. He says, no, that's not the case. He says, God knows that if you eat this fruit of this tree, you'll become like him. It's this, it's this idea to question God's character, that, if, if, that he's not for you, and that he doesn't have your best interest in heart, at heart, and he's holding out on you, and you can't trust him. See, the thing is, when, if I really understand God's character, and I really understand my identity in light of God's perspective, that, that, that I am his child, he wants good things for me, and that his plans for me are better than my plans for me, and that he has good things in store, and that his commands are for my good, that then it really sets me free from temptation. And then there's this lie that, that says that... Uh, lies about the consequences of sin. See, the devil says to Jesus, he says, bow down and worship me, and then you'll get all of these kingdoms that I can give you. Again, the devil's lying. He doesn't have power over all of those kingdoms to give them, but it was the idea that, that you, you do this, and then you can have all of this, and there'll be no consequences for your sin. That's the, the lie of the enemy. And so the devil here is essentially saying to Jesus, you can have the kingdom without the cross. See, we know after Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, his last words to us are all authority and power has been given to me. We, we know that, that that ultimately all belongs to him, but there's these, this lie that is kind of questioning Jesus' identity and at the same time saying, hey, there's gonna be no bad consequences for your sin. It's the same way that he lied to our first parents. They said, hey, if we eat of the fruit of this tree, we'll surely die. And then the devil says, you will not surely die. The idea that my sin isn't going to harm me. The idea that I can sin and not have any consequences. It's this lie. See, when I know, see, all of our behavior ultimately comes from what we believe. See, when I know that I am a child of God, it's my identity, and that the Father is for me, that's God's character, that he loves me so much he did not spare his only son. Again, that's our identity and that's who God is. That he has good plans for me. They are better than my own plans, that he is in control so I don't have to try to be in control, that my faithfulness to him will be more rewarded more richly than anything that this earth could offer. When I really believe that his spirit lives inside of me, we'll talk about that more in a minute, empowering me to overcome temptation, when I really understand who I am and whose I am, the truth of my identity, my relationship with God, God's character, that that it really changes everything and empowers us to resist temptation. See, here's the third thing. We are not powerless against temptation. We have three great weapons. The first is the truth of Scripture. See, over and over again, Jesus responds to the, to the devil by, by quoting scripture. He says, eat this fruit, food, uh, it turned these stones into bread. And, and then Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. And Satan says, bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He, he says, uh, hey, jump off and see if these angels will catch you. And, and Jesus said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus responded to temptation 
with Scripture, which just shows us the power of us reading and memorizing and meditating on Scripture. And I would encourage you, if there's a specific area of your life that you're prone to temptation, find Scriptures that can speak to that and memorize them. And then when those moments of temptation come, meditate on those. Just think about those over and over. So for instance, if you really struggle with, with lust and, and you might memorize the, the verse, Old Testament, I can't remember the reference right now, but it says, I have made a covenant with mine eyes that I will not lust upon a woman. Look upon a woman with lust. And so in those moments when that temptation comes, the truth of that Scripture, you, you can recall it and, and say it to yourself, either uh, out loud or in your mind. And so we have this powerful weapon of the truth of Scripture, but then we also have this powerful weapon of the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. When it comes to temptation, we tend to have one of a few responses. Either we just give in to the temptation, no struggle. Last night, I felt a temptation to have three ego waffles before bed. I just steered into it. And uh, there was no resisting. There actually was a short-term resisting, and, but then I just gave into it. And so there's, we just either give in to the temptation, but if we're gonna choose to try to fight the temptation, we usually kind of focus on one of two areas. Either we just try to try harder. Well, if I just try harder, it'll go better. And, and there's a spot for that. And there's a spot, you know, the, there's a spot for just choosing self-control. And there's a spot for just trying harder, but that rarely works great long-term. Our second step that we will seek to go to is we'll seek to kind of have e external changes or external assistance. And so that might look like removing yourself from the source of temptation, and that can be a really great tool. In fact, the Bible talks more about fleeing temptation than it does even against fighting temptation. It is just a powerful tool, and so we see that in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, and Potiphar's wife is seeking to seduce him, and he, he, he doesn't stay and fight the temptation. He flees it and runs away, kind of this change in this external environment. Many times, changing uh, kind of our exposure to temptation can be a very good good tool, or, or maybe seeking an external tool. Maybe, you know, if, if you're the sin you tend to struggle with, it has to do with your computer. It could look like having your computer out in a public place or having filters on it or setting up a situation that you can subscribe to where someone else gets a copy of your internet history once a week. And, and so this external tools can be helpful, either removing ourselves from a situation, not being exposed to the things that we know bring us temptation, getting assistance from the outside externals. But, but the thing is, at the end of the day, the best long-term play and God's goal in our life is not primarily that we try harder and is not primarily that we change externals, although both of those can be fully good places to start. But for the long term, God's end game for us is internal transformation. And that's really where the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we see is, is we see this, uh, this kind of combination of God's word and God's people, which we'll talk about in a minute, and God's spirit coming together to bring internal transformation. Galatians 5.16 says this. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What is he saying? He's saying as you live a life yielded to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're not gonna give in to temptation in the same ways. 
in the same frequency and to the same degree. He says, he says, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What we're talking about is a change in our desires, internal change. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Really, that's sort of kind of talking about this idea that if, I, if I'm living where my life is being uh, shaped and guided and empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit, I no longer need an ex, uh, all these external tools to help me to live a life that honors God. He says those who are, though, he says those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. And so as this Jewish audience would have thought about the law, it's this idea of like a checklist of if I do all of these things, then my life's gonna honor God. But the idea is that if my life is being transformed by the Holy Spirit, I don't need this checklist because the Holy Spirit is producing transformation of me on the inside where my desires change. And so I don't, I don't need all this external training wheels, if you will. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit Talking about what does this internal transformation look like? Love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So the thing is what we see is heart transformation is the key. It's not bad to just to try harder and to get us started. Sometimes we have to just choose self-control. It's not bad to have some external tools that help us along the way, but the long-term play, God's long-term heart for us, and what will bring sustainable change is internal transformation of our desires. Here's the third tool that, that, that is uh, available to us to help us fight temptation. It's the help of God's people. See, there's this triad of God's spirit, God's word, and God's people that he uses to come together to bring about this internal transformation. And in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says this. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He says, let us think deeply about how we might help other people who are seeking to follow Jesus to really live out their life of following Jesus. Let us think deeply how we can help each other in this journey. Not giving up meeting together. He's saying it's important that we actually spend time together in Christ-centered relationships. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we see this encouragement of the importance of us spending time together and Christ-centered relationships, looking to encourage and bring out the best with each other as we seek to follow Jesus. And then the very next verse is about the danger of sin. I'll show this to you. He says, if we deliver, he says, even more as you see the day approaching, even more as you see Jesus coming back, getting sooner. And then he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. See, part of the purpose of, of, uh, that, that God wants to accomplish in our life is, is that this idea that following Jesus is not meant to be an individual sport, it's meant to be a team sport, and that, that we're meant to do it together, and that God uses each of us to help the other to become who God has called us to be, to become more and more like Jesus, this internal transformation that we really, really need each other, and that's the purpose of these Christ-centered relationships, and that it's a big, big deal. And, and, and see, that Jesus makes it very clear that a big part of following him is loving one another. But the idea that Jesus understands that when, 
we think about love, it can be kind of nebulous. And so the New Testament has all these sayings that are, that are just meant to unpack what does it mean to, to love one another. And so there's all these little one another sayings that are in the New Testament that just unpack it in detail. What does it look like to have the kind of love for each other that we're called to have? And so scripture tells us, encourage each other, what we just saw here, and pray for one another and serve one another and be hospitable to one another and forgive one another and outdo one another and showing honor to each other, that all of these things are just unpacking what it looks like to love one another. And so at Life Church, the, the way that we try to give the greatest opportunity for us to, to live in Christ-centered relationships where that where we learn to love and where we grow deeper and where we help each other uh, be, uh, experience this transformation that God's doing through his word and through his spirit, but also through his people, is through what we call life groups. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you are already in one. And uh, if you're not yet in one, we've got, we've got groups for men and groups for ladies. We've got groups that meet in the morning, groups that meet in the daytime, groups that meet in the evening. We've got groups most every day of the week. And if you're not yet in a group, today is the day that you have the chance to sign up for one of the groups that'll be meeting this spring. And you can sign up at lifechurchnv.com. You can sign up on the Church Center app. The best place to learn more is after this service, as you go out those doors, if you're here on the campus, you can go out and there'll be people on the patio and we'll at some tables that can share with you about our open group opportunities. But th for us, this is just such a big part of what it means to follow Jesus, for us to be in these smaller groups, growing deeper, learning to love each other and helping each other become all that God has called us to be. And here's the last thing and we're done. Jesus withstood temptation perfectly because we don't. Let me ask you this question. Any 49er fans here? 49er fans? Question, David, right? David, you a big 49er fan? Did you watch the game yesterday? Yes, yes, we have some happy people here. Um, and so, uh, now there are certain kinds of fans that do this thing where after they watch a game with the team they're a fan of, afterwards they say, we won. Do you do that? You're one of those guys. <laughs> now my question is, what, what position do you play for the 49ers? <laughs> and how long, how long, when does your contract expire? How much are they paying you? They don't need to. It's, uh, <laughs> See, the thing is there's something in us with a team that we identify with, that, that where we can really connect with their victory. And, and so it's like if you're, if you're a big Golden State Warriors fan and, and you watch the Warriors play, and let's say that, that, that at the last of the buzzer, Steph Curry hits a three-pointer and, and he nails it and, he, and because of that, they win by one. It's a little bit weird to after your team wins to say we won like you were on the team, uh, but it would be next step weird if you're like, and, and I, I, hit, I hit the buzzer beater, three-pointer. I caused the win when it was clearly Steph Curry, and you are not Steph Curry. So, but here's the thing. If this story simply was Jesus showing us how to defeat temptation, it'd be a great story. And it'd be helpful, just like if Steph Curry, who in games hits 43% of his three-pointers, but before a game, when he's just practicing, hits pretty much all of them. And if I hung out with Steph, and he shows me how to do it, 
I might get somewhat better than I am, but I'm never going to be as good as he is. But, but if, 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 if it worked this way, where we're playing horse, and whenever I miss it, Steph gets the H and the O and the R, and whenever he makes it, I don't. That's what's going on here. That Jesus does more than just show us how to defeat temptation. The good news is this, is that, be, that Jesus fully withstood temptation, living the perfect life we never could, and as followers of Jesus, we get the full credit. It's this great exchange. It's the greatest trade everyone's ever made that as followers of Jesus, it says we are in Christ. It's this one, it's this, it's this unity. And that the idea that, that, that is the scripture says that, that, that he who knew no sin, he who lived the perfect life, he who never gave in to temptation became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the great news of this story, sure, it's a great model that we can learn from to learn how to resist temptation. And for sure, because of God's love for us and our love for him and the way that in which he's transforming us, we want to live lives that honor God and that we want to give in to temptation less and less and less and give in to significant sin less and less. There'll be oh, this overall transformation of our lives, becoming more and more like Jesus. We're on this process, but we're not gonna come to a time in this life where we don't have moments where we give in to temptation sometimes. But the good news is this, is that Jesus perfectly gave, uh, resisted temptation, living the perfect life we never could, and that as we trust in him, as we give our lives to him, as we trust in the fact that he lived the perfect life we never could, he died the death we deserve to die, and that he rose from the dead as we live lives as followers of Jesus. Everything that is broken and flawed and sinful in us he takes on himself and everything that is perfect and holy and flawless gets credited to us as if we never gave in. Just like our friend here who thinks he plays for the 49ers. That's the good news, that he did not give in to temptation because we will give in to temptation sometimes. We get credit for his victory. And so when temptation comes, don't be surprised. It's inevitable. It's gonna come more in moments where you're really thriving spiritually, taking ground for the kingdom, where the enemy might see you as a threat. It's gonna come more in moments where you might be more vulnerable, tired, hungry, stressed, having a hard moment. Don't believe the lies that the devil will speak to you about who you are and who God is. And don't believe the lie that God's way is not best. Don't believe the lies. Remember that you're not powerless. You've got powerful tools of God's word and God's spirit and God's people. And rejoice that even when you fall, that you have one who has defeated temptation on your behalf. Let's pray together. So Father, we do thank you for Jesus Thank you that every bit of his perfection is credited to us if we are in him. And that every single piece of our guilt and shame and regret and sin that he has taken on himself if we are in him. And so we thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for his dying in our place, taking every, every, all of our sin upon himself.
We thank you that he rose from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies. Lord, I pray that when temptation comes, that our love for you and our, and our trust in who you are, that your plans for us are better than ours and that your way is best and that you have good things for us. God, that, that, that our, we would seek to live lives that honor you. Lord, that we, we, would, we would seek to rely on your word and that your spirit would transform us. And God, I pray that we would do a great job coming around each other and seeking to encourage each other to be the people that you've made us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.